Hi, this is Gary Washburn, pastor of Grace Tabernacle. Thank you for tuning to our podcast today. Our hope is that this message inspires you and builds your faith. For more information about Grace Tabernacle and our ministries, please go to gracetab.org and like us on Facebook. Now, may the message feed your soul. We're going to share communion together. If you don't have the communion elements, if you'll raise your hand, the ushers will be glad to bring you uh, a packet of the communion elements. Just raise your hand up and they'll swing by and bring you one. You know, communion is something very sacred to me personally. All the churches I ever pastored, uh, I had communion every Sunday. And we had it where people came forward and we, uh, it was a a time for me at the end of every service to look every member of my church in the eye and and be able to pray and and minister and always very, very precious to me. And the thing that I love about it is that it always left us, whatever else we had preached or talked about or dealt with, it always left us with one thing on our mind, which is what Christ had done for us and uh, what he longs to do in us. So if you've received the elements, I want us to go ahead and if you'll open the very first part of that, you'll, that tab, you'll be able to receive and procure the bread. And then the second section of that will open up the juice. The Bible says that as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And then he blessed it saying, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, you do so in the remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread. And then he took the cup and lifting it up, he blessed it, saying, this is a cup of a new testament, of a new covenant in my life's blood. And I say to you, I will not drink again from this fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And I would say to you, behold the cup of salvation, behold the cup of redemption, behold the cup of new life, behold the cup of the Lord. As often as we drink of this cup, we do show forth his death until he comes. Let's partake of the Father, in the mystery of this moment and of this meal, meet us here at this table and remind us that it's in you that we live and move and have our being. Remind us that apart from you, we can do nothing. Remind us that the relationship we have with you is not merely a relationship of organizational commitment to a set of rules and regulations, but it is an organic union with your very life. And we thank you, and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. So uh, I'm glad to be with you. I don't know that I have ever uh, come and preached in one church for four weeks in a row. Um, But uh, here I am. You're stuck with me for the month of January. Amen. And it's always an honor to bring the word anywhere and any time, but particularly here, we feel like we're coming home a bit to family with grace, have a long relationship here, and we're really honored to be here 
uh, with you during this, this time. And we pray about everything before we say yes. Um, and we really sought the Lord for, for several uh, weeks before we said yes and really felt like the Lord called us to come because I'm of a conviction that assignment and anointing go together. So um, anointing is not something that I just have and can take wherever I want it to go. I just decide I'd like to take my anointing over here or I'd like to take my anointing over there. I believe assignment and anointing go together. That if I go where I'm assigned to go, then God has guaranteed that his anointing will be there to go with me. But if I decide where I'm gonna go, make my own plans and decisions, then I'm on my own, <laughs> amen? And having been on my own before, I've decided I don't wanna do that anymore, <laughs> amen? So uh, I believe that we're here for a cause and for a reason and that the Lord has uh, knowledge of, of why. And so I'm expectant, my heart is expectant just to hear and see what he's got to say to us during this time that we're together. Uh, if you have your Bible, I'm gonna start today in Matthew chapter five, a familiar passage of scripture. But I would say to you, if you've not heard me speak or teach before, uh, you're going to, I, I would just say this to you. Um, if you think you've heard what I've said before, you probably didn't hear it. Uh, because I've discovered, I can say that with some assurance in that uh, preaching and teaching for 45 years and all over the world, I know that the message that I bring is a, a message that is the oldest message of the gospel, but unfortunately, frequently, one of the most lost messages of scripture. And if I were to simplify it in the simplest of terms, those of you that know me will almost be able to say this with me. It's simply this, that there are two paradigms of Christian living. Paradigm number one is Jesus died for me. <clears throat> his part is over. Now I'm going to live my life for him to the best of my ability in gratitude and thanksgiving for what he did for me. That's paradigm number one and the paradigm under which I personally believe the vast majority of Christians have spent the vast majority of their life. Jesus died for me. He forgave me, gave me a new start. Now I'm gonna spend the rest of my life living for him. But the second paradigm, which is the biblical paradigm, is that Jesus died for me, not so that I would live my life for him, but that he would then be able to live his life through me. And the difference between me trying to live my life for Jesus and me learning how to let Jesus live and express and reveal and manifest and demonstrate his life through me is the difference between failure and success in Christian living. It's the difference between religion and having a vital union with Christ. And it's a difference that you can spend a lifetime learning and never get tired of learning of the wonders of the difference between me laboring out of my own human energy, flesh, capacity, ability, determination, will, emotion, intellect, to live my life for Jesus versus me learning how to surrender, how to yield, how to capitulate, how to relinquish the control of my life to allowing Jesus in his living presence and power within me express, reveal, manifest, demonstrate, and bring forth his life through me. And the difference is a difference that you spend a lifetime learning, but until you get that the first paradigm is not the proposition God offered you, you'll spend a lifetime laboring in fleshly futility. When you come to understand that the proposition was always that Christ would live his life through you, never that you would live your life for him. 
As a matter of fact, he's the one who said in John chapter 15, verse five, I'm the vine, you're the branch. You abide in me, my word abides in you. You'll bring forth fruit. I'm gonna cut you back so there'll be more of me. Then I'm gonna cut you back some more so there'll be more of me until eventually you'll be very fruitful. And then he said in verse five, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Now we read that, we heard that, we learned that, but we didn't believe it. We believe what he meant is, you need my help. But what he said is, not you need my help. He said, you can do nothing without me. It wouldn't matter if I helped you. You still couldn't do it. There's a difference between somebody helping you and somebody doing it. That's why the Bible says, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, for it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to do, according to his good pleasure. That's why Paul the Apostle said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Not by faith in me and what I can do for him. I live by faith in him and what he and he alone can do through me. So it is not about me trying to live my life for Jesus. As a matter of fact, the longer you go with that, the more miserable your Christianity will become. The more convinced you are that that's what he's expecting of you, the more constant you're gonna feel that you are disappointing him. And the more you think that the answer to the Christian life is for you to redouble your efforts, recommit yourself, rededicate yourself to the proposition of living your life for Christ, the longer you are prolonging the misery of Christianity without Christ. You see, he's not offering to help you live your life for Jesus. If you're gonna do that, you're on your own. Go for it. Do it as long as you want to. Because he knows that until you get to the end of trying to do that, you'll never get to the beginning of allowing him to do it instead. So he's not against you failing on your own because if failure and futility have one positive outcome, it's that it teaches you what you can't do without him. Now he'd, he'd like to prevent you, to keep you from the misery of that, but he also knows we're stubborn and we keep thinking that the real proposition of the cross was Jesus said, okay, you made all F's, I'm gonna now remove your F's, I'm gonna give you incompletes and I'm gonna give you a chance to start over and do better. And so we think that that's the proposition, so what are we gonna do? We're gonna start over and do better. But we don't. We may start over, but we don't do better. We may get better at masking the reality of who we are, but that doesn't mean we're getting any better at being Jesus. You know, I, I've often used the term Christ-like. You know, it was one of my favorite terms as a young kid. I, I want to be Christ-like. But I don't use that term much anymore, except in a, a particular context, because the fact is that to be Christ-like is kind of like what you say at a funeral when you see somebody and say, they are so lifelike. <laughs> what you're basically saying is they're dead, but they, but they look like they're alive. And the truth is that when we say often Christ-like, what we're really saying is they're not Jesus. It's not Jesus I'm seeing here, but it's, you know, he's doing a good job of acting like Jesus. He's getting, doing a good job of appearing 
You know, my daughter wore a bracelet for years, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And it was, you know, she was very devoted to it. The only problem with it is, it doesn't really matter what Jesus would do, you ain't doing it. So knowing what he would do doesn't help you do it. All it does is, is gives, you, gives you an example that you actually can't follow. You know, if we couldn't keep the law, a lot of people say, well, we're, out enough for, we're free from the law. We don't have to keep the law anymore. We're, we're living under grace. But what they've done is they've replaced the law with the example of Jesus. So the law is no longer what I'm under. What I'm under now is Jesus left to me a beautiful example, and now I'm to follow his example. Well, let me tell you something. If you couldn't do the law, you ain't going to follow Jesus and act like him. Because Jesus, the law said, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus said, I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery with her. The, the law says you shall not commit murder. But Jesus said, I say to you, if you say to a man, that man's a fool, in your heart, you've killed him. So he didn't lower the standard. The example of Jesus didn't lower the standard of the law. Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of the law in every jot and every tittle. Not only of the law itself in the hard reality of the commands written on stone, but he was the fulfillment of the spirit of the law. Not just what the law said, but what the law intended. He fulfilled all of it perfectly. Amen. And you're going to follow his example? I don't think so. I hate to give you bad news right off the bat. But I really would love to deliver you from the misery of thinking you're going to act like Jesus. You are not going to act like Jesus, not once in your life. You're going to pretend to look like, act like, and be lifelike, but it's not the same. The only way that the life of Christ is ever going to be found in you is if he's found in you, and the only way that life is ever going to be revealed in you is if he's revealed in you, and the only way that life is ever going to be manifested in any form, in any way, in any situation, among any person, in any circumstance of life is if Christ himself is the one manifesting his own life through you because you've learned to get out of his way. And that, and that alone is the proposition of Christianity. And anything that's not that is just man's religion. Because Jesus did not come to found an organization. He came to give us life. Amen. I am come that you might have life and to have it to the full. We heard him say, I'm come that you might have an abundant life. Lots of money, nice car, big house. But that's not what he said. He didn't say, I've come that you might have an abundant life. He said, I'm come that you might have life in abundance three Greek words for life I know you've heard some of this you've heard but you need to hear it again and again and again before it will finally start to dawn on you like it dawned on me and change your life the first Greek word is the Greek word bios it's the word we get biology from when Jesus said I'm come that you might have life in abundance he wasn't speaking biologically he didn't use the Greek word bios the second is the Greek word suke. Suke is a Greek word that speaks of a lifestyle, of breath. It, it speaks more of the idea of, of our everyday life. But he didn't say, I'm come that you might have a change of lifestyle. He used one Greek word and one Greek word only. He said, I'm come that you might have life. Zoe, 
One definition of the Greek word zoe. Zoe is eternal life. It's the life that God alone possesses. Only God has it. And you can only get it by being connected to, engaged in, and abiding in him himself. When he said, I'm come that you might have life, he didn't say, I'm coming to change your physical, biological experience. I'm not coming to change and rearrange and recalibrate your lifestyle. I'm coming to put something in you that you don't have and you could never manufacture, never produce, never come up with. It's something only found in me. And the only place you can get it is by being connected to in vital, organic union with me. That's what I've come to give you. That's why it says in 1 John 5, 11, and 12, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, zoe in the Greek. And that life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. You may have a set of doctrines. You may have a set of theologies. You may be able to, you know, Trace your pedigree in some denomination back 14 generations. You may have all the religion you can possibly imagine. You may be brilliantly, strategically uh, understanding of theology. But if you don't have life, if you don't have the son, you don't have what Jesus came to bring you. But the good news is if you've got him, you got it. But why did that life that he alone possessed and he alone when he came into the earth was the only creature on planet earth who had it no one else had ever had it before when he came he came why so that you'd have it and it's not something he can give you apart from himself it's not like okay here's eternal life i'm going this is your version and here's yours and here's yours no he said here's eternal life you got to be plugged into me I'm the only source of it. And I'm the only place that you can find it and only to the extent that you abide in me and allow me to live and express my life through you will you see this life being manifested in you. Saints, the life to which we are called is completely and totally and irrevocably unreasonable of God to ask of us unless... He's planning to do it through us. The only thing that makes anything in this Bible reasonable is that the one who is asking it of us is the same one who has promised to do it through us if we will come into cooperation with him. If we are expected to do this apart from him, the proposition is completely unreasonable and the call is completely impossible. The Christian life is not difficult, it is impossible. Only one person has ever done it. His name is Jesus. But the good news is he's in here. And he didn't come in here to watch you try and act like him. That's a movie he doesn't want to see. You're not even gonna be nominated for an award for that movie. That's not an act he's interested in watching. I think of Jesus saying to the disciples, oh, how long have I got to be with you before you get this? 
But the wonderful, beautiful, fantastic, extraordinary news is the only one who doesn't know that this was always the proposition and that this is all that he's ever asking is for you to let him live through you. The only one who doesn't know that is you. He's, he, he's known this from the beginning that you can't do this. He's not surprised by your incapacity. He's not surprised by your humanity. He's not surprised by your failures. He knows what you can do without him. He knows it and he told you. You can't do anything without me. And so what he's longing to do, I believe from the day that he first encountered the Lord, the first thing that's on his agenda is to get this life in you for you to be born again, for you to be born in the spirit. So until that happens, that's the only agenda God's got with you is that his spirit might be able to find access into your heart so that your human spirit can come alive again and that he can come and live inside of you by his spirit. But after you get saved, the main agenda he has for you, and he'll stick with it for as long as it takes to get you to this point, is to get you to the end of yourself. To get you to come to the realization that the Christian life is not something you can live, but it's something he can live through you if you'll learn how to cooperate with, surrender to, yield to, and allow him to do this work in you. So the proposition from beginning to end that Christ has is he's saying, listen, I didn't only come to die on the cross, shed my blood, to do the work of forgiving you so that you would then uh, be forgiven, you'd have the promise of heaven, and then you'd have the book and now there's the way, here's the truth, go live the life. The proposition has always been that he died for you so that he could live through you. He could live through you. When you change the paradigm of Christian living to understand that, everything changes. Because when you get up in the morning and you think, okay, Jesus died for me, he did this unbelievable thing, and now my calling and the expectation of the Lord is that I'm gonna live my life for him. The way you face life is gonna be very different than when you get up in the morning and say, you know, Jesus died for me because he knew I could not die for myself. And Jesus wants to live through me because he knows I can't live this life for myself. And the good news is the cross was not the end. The cross was the qualifying requirement and prerequisite for the purpose, which was that then he could get inside of you. And then he could begin to express through you what you could never express for him. He could begin to reveal in you what you could never reveal for him. He could begin to accomplish through you what you could never accomplish for him. And in the same way that there's absolutely nothing you brought to your salvation except the sin from which you needed to be saved. That was your entire contribution. Would you agree? Well, good news. It's still still the same story. You bring absolutely nothing to your sanctification except the flesh that needs to be sanctified and superseded by the power of his life. That's what you contribute, is letting go and letting Christ live through you. He didn't trust us to do any of it because he knew anything that was dependent upon us other than yielding, we'd we'd mess it up. 
So, that's just a brief introduction. To dismantle your entire Christian experience. But I promise you, the more you hear it, the more you'll know it's true. The more you see it in the word, the more you'll understand what it means. Let's just look at one example as we're kind of pulling to a close this morning. Look what it says in verse 14 of Matthew 5. It says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. There's three quick questions that come into mind just reading verse 16. First of all, if I'm going to let my light so shine before men, I I guess I need to know what my light is. What is is my light? If I'm going to let it shine before men so that they see my good works, then I need to understand... How do I let it shine? I need to know what it is. I need to know how to let it shine. And then I need to know something about what it is that will prove whether I'm doing it or not. Am I letting my light shine in such a way that there's evidence that what I'm doing is what I'm being asked to do. Well, see, if I'm listening to that verse of Scripture through paradigm one, there's only one way I'm going to look at that. I'm going to say, okay, uh, I'm the light of the world. Jesus died for me. He forgave me. He cleansed me of my sin. He gave me a new chance. He's given me a new start. He's given me his word. I've got the truth. I need to do something for Jesus, something strong, something worthy of what he did for me. I need to invest myself. I need to engage my life. I need to do something important for the Lord. And I need to do it in such a way that the world sees me doing it. I mean, I need to be out there. I need to get up on the top of the mountain where people can see me. I need to engage in something really important and really significant when I look at the light of what he did for me. And then I need to just go at it. I need to, with my passion and with my intellect and with my emotions and with my will and with everything in me, I need to do everything in my power to do something great for God. Because... I've been called to let my light shine and Jesus died for me. I'm going to live for him. And so off we go and we, we try a lot of different things. We engage in a lot of different activities. We come up with some wonderful plans and, and yet there's this nagging question in the back of the heart which is what does this really mean to let my light shine before men? What is my light? Is my light my intellect? Is my light my prowess, my strength and capacity? Is my light my position and my ability to accomplish things? Is that what my light is that I need to put to work shining for Jesus? Use all my education, all my background, all my skills, my capacities, my artistic abilities, my ingenuity, my creativity to do something great for God? Is that what this means? You know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. May not be much, but I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. Here it is right here. Let it shine. I, wanna, I, want to, I want to so desperately just crack the confusion and set you free. But to do that, let's look real quick. I want you to look real quickly at one verse of Scripture, just one example. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, 
Nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but him who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight. Apparently, this light that we're supposed to let shine is not about the magnificence of our uh, intellect or the prowess of our strength. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, our positions, the things we can achieve or accomplish. Apparently, those are not the things we're supposed to glory in. You know, it says, interestingly, over in uh, Corinthians, for example, it says in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, he says, um, for you see your calling, brethren, verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised has God chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are you in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption as is written, he who glories, if you're gonna glory, let him glory in the Lord. So wait a minute, if if I'm gonna let my little light shine, then what does it mean? What is my light? If it's not the brilliance of my intellect, my ingenuity, my creativity, if it's not the prowess and strength and might of my character, of my determination, of my focus, if it's not my position or my power or my wealth, how exactly is it I'm supposed to let this light shine? What exactly is my light? Well, the answer to that question is found very quickly in the book of John. Look at John. John will tell you exactly what your light is. John chapter one. And look what it says in verse four. John 1, verse four. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In Christ, when he came to earth, there was a life that had never been on earth before. It only resided in him because it was Zoe, the life of God himself in him. In him was Zoe, Greek word. And that Zoe, that life that was in him was the light of men. Not the doctrine, not the teaching, not the commandments, not the explanations. It wasn't the religion, it was the life that was in him that was the light he came to bring to the world. And that life, which was the light, is the life he came to give you. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. I am come 
that you might have life. By the way, if you were to look at just a couple of verses, I won't take the time to make you go there. But Jesus said in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. It says in John 12, verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. It says in Ephesians 5, verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Ephesians 5, verse 14, Awake you who sleep and rise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The Bible says in Philippians 2, verse 13 and 15, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining, disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Colossians 1, verse 11 and 12 says, Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. What does it mean to let your light shine? so that men see your good works and they glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, if I need to know the answer to the question, what is the light? My light is not my intellect, it's not my prowess, it's not my position. My light is his life in me. And how is it gonna shine? By me getting out of the way of it. Not by me trying to imitate it, If I have the sun in me, why does he need my flashlight? Why would I put him under a bushel so people could see my intellect, my creativity, my ingenuity? What I wanted to is get the bushel off of him. The bushel is me. My fleshly attempts to act like him. What I want to do is just acknowledge, Lord, you know what I am without you, and now I do too. You know what you expect of me, which is nothing, and now I understand that too. But the wonderful good news is the Bible says, for you are dead and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, Colossians chapter 3, appears, you'll appear with him in glory. Not just in heavenly glory. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your affections on things above and not on the things of the earth, for you are dead and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears through you, you get to show up with him in glory. You get to see him do something through you you could never do for him. When his light begins to shine and he begins to do good works through you, how do I know it's him doing it? Because Jesus was once called good father and he said, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. So by calling me good, you're equating me with God, which he was. 
But if I'm going to do a good work and there's none good but God, and the Bible says in Romans chapter 7, that I know that in me, that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. How is a good work going to be done through me? If in my flesh there dwells no good thing. And that there's only one good who is God. There's only one way a good work can be done through me. It's if he's doing it. And what's the proof that he's doing it? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify you for doing them. That they might see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Why would they glorify him? Because they know it must have come from him, what just came through you. It may have come through you, but it didn't come from you. Now, I can act like I love you. Hi, sister. How are you? So good to see you. Blessings, blessings. Love you, love you. Oh, God, I hope I don't have to see her for another week. <laughs> Jesus, help me. Deliver me. Just the fruit of the Spirit working in my life called wax fruit. <laughs> I got to lay this foundation because this is what we'll talk about the whole time I'm here. But here's what you need to know is if you want your light to shine, you need to know what your light is and it ain't you. If you want your light to shine, you need to know what that light is and it is his life in you. And if you want it to shine, it's not about you trying to act like him. It's about you getting the bushel of your humanity off of the glory of his spirit in you and letting him express his life as a wife, as a husband, as a mother, as a father, as a grandfather, as a grandmother, as a business owner, as an employee, as a friend, in every situation, in every circumstance. It's about getting out of his way. Yielding to, being surrendered to, Laying down your plans, laying down your ideas, laying down your brilliant intellect, putting no glory in that, laying down your power and physical strength and capacity and ability, putting no glory in that, laying down your position, putting no glory in that, and simply saying, Lord, what do you want to do through me today? I'm here as a branch to your vine. My only purpose for existence is to be a conduit of your life and a bearer of the fruit that you produce through me. You're not asking me to try to come up with this. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and they glorify your Father who's in heaven. Let's stand together, can we do that? Lord, in the stillness of this moment, and those who are gonna be prayer people, if you wanna come down and, and prepare for prayer, please feel free to. But in the stillness of this moment, I just wanna say this, and this is with all sincerity, you know, I've been pastor for 45 years and been out on the road for the past, uh, I don't know, three or four, writing and speaking and leading and doing various things, but 
at this point in my life, I, I'm at a place where it doesn't matter if, if I got an invitation to go, you know, to speak to the European Union presidents for a three-day seminar and they want to sit at my feet, the first response out of my mouth would be, let me pray about it. See, when I was uh, living my life for Jesus, that would have been the opportunity of a laugh- lifetime. But since I've learned to let him live his life through me, I've learned that I- I'm, I'm going to go there all by myself if he doesn't send me. But the good news is if he sends me, he's going to go and do it through me. Because anything he calls me to, he's going to do. Anything I call myself to, it's up to me to do it. And all I'm going to come up with, I'm going to show up with is a flashlight. When what the world needs is not the flashlight of what men can do for God. Most of us are batteries on about 10% anyway. What the world desperately needs is the glory of the sun shining through us. And God help us, we've not only been taught that our calling is to try harder, we've actually been teaching others the same thing. You gotta dig in deeper. You gotta recommit yourself. That's the, real, that's the real answer to why it's not working. Lord, I, I just pray that somehow in the way that only you can, you crack through a little bit of our paradigm of self-effort and just plant the hope of a greater revelation the revelation of what Christ can do through us. Because if we build an empire for you, it won't last a day after we're gone. But if we give a cup of cold water and you do it through us, that reward will never be forgotten. It's not about the size of what we do. It's about who's doing it, us or you. So Lord, I just pray, there may be somebody in here today who's never really understood Christianity in these terms. Maybe they thought it was just sort of like the Rotary Club and it's just a bunch of good people getting together with good intentions to do good stuff. I'm going to tell you this. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. That life is in his son. He who has a son has life. If you don't have the son of God, you may have a good dose of religion, but you don't have life. He didn't come to change just your lifestyle. He came to give you a life you did not possess. And if you don't have it, then you're in eternal peril without it. So if you've never really understood Christianity on these terms, and you've never really asked Christ to give you this life that alone he has by grafting him into the vine, grafting you as a branch into the vine of his life, then this would be a great day to do that. So I'm going to just open the altar for a moment and and if you need prayer, if you just say, man, God's speaking to me today, or you may have an issue you came in with today that has nothing to do with anything I've spoken about or anything anyone has said, you just need prayer and agreement, let's just be open to pray for a moment. You know, we're going to have the whole rest of the week not together as the people of God. Let's just take the time that we have, and let's just enjoy his presence in our midst and invite you to come down as the Lord leads. <clears throat> We bless you, Lord. Just worship you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus.
go here to the piano and just play a song real quick while we're just waiting a moment. Just let the Holy Spirit minister to you, whether it's right where you are or whether you come down or not. How do I turn her on? I'm going to get it. so I may have blown it here. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, we just, we just give you praise. We thank you that your spirit is here. We thank you that truth sets us free. We thank you, Lord, that whenever and wherever we open our heart to you, wherever and whenever we get to the end of ourselves, wherever and whenever and under whatever circumstance, we become conscious of a need that we can't meet, a call that we can't reach, a lifestyle that we could never produce. Whenever we finally face the fact, look ourselves in the mirror and say, you know what? You actually can't do this. I pray that in that very self-same moment, we'd come to the realization that God never asked us to. What he asked us to is to be the depository of his life and the recipient of the grace not only of what he did for us on the cross, but what only he can do through us by the life of his spirit. And I pray, Lord, that in this, these weeks that we share together here, that what we've talked about here will become more than just information. It'll become transformational. It will literally, my prayer is, the whole paradigm of our Christian living will begin to shift to the wonder of the life of Christ in us and not the disappointment of our life trying to imitate and act like you. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Can we just give the Lord praise today, amen? Glorify his name. We magnify you, Lord. Glorify you and worship you, exalt you. There's none like you, none like you, O oh Lord none like you so I want you to hug seven people and tell them you're not that good an actor so just quit amen hug them and enjoy